You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Greetings, listeners. It is I, TV Spitzer and Farmer Dave, here once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu mythos, its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits, like the dreamlands or things of a weird nature that are Lovecraftian leanings. Once more we head into those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us. Once again we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZOM. Hey everyone, it is a book club episode. This book club episode is brought to you by Golden Goat CBD, Curve Girl Plus Size Clothing. As always, check the show notes for links on how to get deals and free shipping on some things. All right. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between fine loose leaf and common broken leaf tea bags. So, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, They have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. This episode is brought to you by Donner. Check out the show notes to find a good deal at Donner. Like the sound of this? This is the Donner Island Delay. And the really cool Donner LP that I've shown off on, like, Instagram. Check it out. I've got some really good summer deals. And check out their snap deals as well. Use the link in the show notes to help support the show. Get yourself some cool musical instruments. Maybe some patch chords. Cool. A study in Scarlet by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Chapter 7. Light in the Darkness. The intelligence with which Lestrade greeted us was so momentous and so unexpected that we were all three fairly dumbfounded. Gregson sprang out of his chair and upset the remainder of his whiskey and water. I stared in silence at Sherlock Holmes, whose lips were compressed and his brows drawn down over his eyes. Stangerson too he muttered the plot thickens it was quite thick enough before grumbled lestrade taking a chair i seem to have dropped into a sort of council of war are you are you sure of this piece of intelligence stammered gregson i've just come from his room said lestrade i was the first to discover what had occurred we have been hearing gregson's view of the matter holmes observed would you mind letting us know what you have seen and done i have no objection lestrade answered seating himself i freely confess that i was of the opinion that stangerson was concerned in the death of drebber this fresh development has shown me that i was completely mistaken full of the one idea i set myself to find out what had become of the secretary they had been seen together at euston station about half past eight on the evening of the third at two in the morning drebber had been found in the brixton road the question which confronted me was to find out how stangerson had been employed between eight thirty and the time of the crime and what had become of him afterwards i telegraphed to liverpool giving a description of the man and warning them to keep a watch upon the american boats i then set to work calling upon all the hotels and lodging houses in the vicinity of euston you see I argued that if Drebber and his companion had become separated, the natural course for the latter would be to put up somewhere in the vicinity for the night, and then to hang about the station again next morning. "'They would be likely to agree on some meeting-place beforehand,' remarked Holmes. "'So it proved. I spent the whole of yesterday evening in making inquiries entirely without avail. This morning I began very early, and at eight o'clock, I reached Halliday's private hotel in Little George Street. On my inquiry as to whether a Mr. Stangerson was living there, 
they at once answered me in the affirmative no doubt you are the gentleman whom he was expecting they said he has been waiting for a gentleman for two days where is he now i asked he's upstairs in bed he wishes to be called at nine i will go up and see him at once i said it seemed to me that my sudden appearance might shake his nerves and lead him to say something unguarded the boots volunteered to show me the room it was on the second floor and there was a small corridor leading up to it the boots pointed out the door to me and was about to go downstairs again when i saw something that made me feel sickish in spite of my twenty years experience from under the door there curled a little red ribbon of blood which had meandered across the passage and formed a little pool along the skirting at the other side i gave a cry which brought the boots back he nearly fainted when he saw it the door was locked on the inside but we put our shoulders to it and knocked it in the window of the room was open and beside the window all huddled up lay the body of a man in his nightdress he was quite dead and had been for some time for his limbs were rigid and cold when we turned him over the boots recognized him at once as being the same gentleman who had engaged the room under the name of joseph stangerson the cause of death was a deep stab in the left side which must have penetrated the heart and now comes the strangest part of the affair what do you suppose was above the murdered man i felt a creeping of the flesh and a presentiment of coming horror even before sherlock holmes answered the word rache written in letters of blood he said that was it said lestrade in an awestruck voice and we were all silent for a while there was something so methodical and so incomprehensible about the deeds of this unknown assassin that it imparted a fresh ghastliness to his crimes my nerves which were steady enough on the field of battle tingled as i thought of it the man was seen said lestrade a milk boy passing on his way to the dairy happened to walk down the lane which leads from the mews at the back of the hotel he noticed that a ladder which usually lay there was raised against one of the windows of the second floor which was wide open after passing he looked back and saw a man descend the ladder he came down so quietly and openly that the boy imagined him to be some carpenter or joiner at work in the hotel he took no particular notice of him beyond thinking in his own mind that it was early for him to be at work he has an impression that the man was tall had a reddish face and was dressed in a long brownish coat he must have stayed in the room some little time after the murder for we found blood-stained water in the basin where he'd washed his hands and marks on the sheets where he deliberately wiped his knife i glanced at holmes on hearing the description of the murderer which tallied so exactly with his own there was however no trace of exultation or satisfaction upon his face did you find nothing in the room which could furnish a clue to the murderer he asked nothing stangerson had drebber's purse in his pocket but it seems that this was usual as he did all the paying there was eighty odd pounds in it but nothing had been taken whatever the motives of these extraordinary crimes robbery is certainly not one of them there were no papers or memoranda in the murdered man's pocket except a single telegram dated from cleveland about a month ago and containing the words j h is in europe there was no name appended to the message and there was nothing else holmes asked nothing of importance the man's novel with which he had read himself to sleep was lying upon the bed and his pipe was on a chair beside him there was a glass of water on the table and on the window sill a small chip ointment box containing a couple of pills sherlock holmes sprang from his chair with an exclamation of delight the last link he cried exultantly my case is complete the two detectives stared at him in amazement i have now in my hands my companion said confidently all the threads which have formed such a tangle there are of course details to be filled in 
but i am as certain of all the main facts from the time that drebus parted from stangerson at the station up to the discovery of the body of the latter as if i had seen them with my own eyes i will give you a proof of my knowledge could you lay your hand upon those pills i have them said lestrade producing a small white box i took em and the purse and the telegram intending to have em put in a place of safety at the police station it was the merest chance my taking those pills for i am bound to say that i do not attach any importance to them give them here said holmes now doctor turning to me are those ordinary pills they certainly were not they were of a pearly gray color small round and almost transparent against the light from their lightness and transparency i should imagine that they're soluble in water i remarked precisely so answered holmes now would you mind going down and fetching that poor little devil of a terrier which has been bad so long and which the landlady wanted you to put out of its pain yesterday i went downstairs and carried the dog upstairs in my arms its labored breathing and glazing eye showed that it was not far from its end indeed its snow-white muzzle proclaimed that it had already exceeded the usual term of canine existence i placed it upon a cushion on the rug i will now cut one of these pills in two said holmes and drawing his penknife he suited the action to the word one half we return into the box for future purposes the other half i will place in this wine glass in which is a teaspoonful of water you perceive that our friend the doctor is right and that it readily dissolves this may be very interesting said lestrade in the injured tone of one who suspects that he is being laughed at i cannot see however what it has to do with the death of mr joseph stangerson patience my friend patience you will find in time that it has everything to do with it i shall now add a little milk to make the mixture palatable and on presenting it to the dog we find that he laps it up readily enough as he spoke he turned the contents of the wine glass into a saucer and placed it in front of the terrier who speedily licked it dry sherlock holmes earnest demeanor had so far convinced us that we all sat in silence watching the animal intently and expecting some startling effect none such appeared however the dog continued to lie stretched upon the cushion breathing in a labored way but apparently neither the better nor the worse for its draught holmes had taken out his watch and as minute followed minute without result an expression of the utmost chagrin and disappointment appeared upon his features he gnawed his lip drummed his fingers upon the table and showed every other symptom of acute impatience so great was his emotion that i felt sincerely sorry for him while the two detectives smiled derisively by no means displeased at this check which he had met it can't be a coincidence he cried at last springing from his chair and pacing wildly up and down the room it is impossible that it should be a mere coincidence the very pills which i suspected in the case of drebber are actually found after the death of stangerson and yet they are inert what can it mean surely my whole chain of reasoning cannot have been false it is impossible and yet this wretched dog is none the worse ah i have it i have it with a perfect shriek of delight he rushed to the box cut the other pill in two dissolved it added milk and presented it to the terrier the unfortunate creature's tongue seemed hardly to have been moistened in it before it gave a convulsive shiver in every limb and lay as rigid and lifeless as if it had been struck by lightning sherlock holmes drew a long breath and wiped the perspiration from his forehead i should have more faith he said i ought to know by this time that when a fact appears to be opposed to a long train of deductions it invariably proves to be capable of bearing some other interpretation of the two pills in that box one was of the most deadly poison and the other was entirely harmless i ought to have known that before i ever saw the box at all this last statement appeared to me to be so startling that i could hardly believe that he was in his sober senses there was the dead dog 
however to prove that his conjectures had been correct it seemed to me that the mists in my own mind were gradually clearing away and i began to have a dim vague perception of the truth all this seems strange to you continued holmes because you failed at the beginning of the inquiry to grasp the importance of the single real clue which was presented to you i had the good fortune to seize upon that and everything which has occurred since then has served to confirm my original supposition and indeed was the logical sequence of it hence things which have perplexed you and made the case more obscure have served to enlighten me and to strengthen my conclusions it is a mistake to confound strangeness with mystery the most commonplace crime is often the most mysterious because it presents no new or special features from which deductions may be drawn this murder would have been infinitely more difficult to unravel had the body of the victim been simply found lying in the roadway without any of these outre and sensational accompaniments which have rendered it remarkable these strange details far from making the case more difficult have really had the effect of making it less so mr gregson who had listened to this address with considerable impatience could contain himself no longer look here mr sherlock holmes he said we're all ready to acknowledge that you are a smart man and you have your own methods of working we want something more more than theory and preaching now though it's a case of taking the man i have made my case out and it seems i was wrong young charpentier could not have been engaged in this second affair lestrade went after his man stangerson and it appears that he was wrong too you've thrown out hints here and hints there and seem to know more than we do but the time has come when we feel that we have a right to ask you straight out how much you do know of the business can you name the man who did it oh, i cannot help feeling that gregson is right sir remarked lestrade we've both tried and we both failed you have remarked more than once since i've been in the room that you had all the evidence which you require surely you will not withhold it any longer any delay in arresting the assassin i observed might give him time to perpetrate some fresh atrocity thus pressed by us all holmes showed signs of irresolution he continued to walk up and down the room with his head sunk on his chest and his brows drawn down as was his habit when lost in thought there will be no more murders he said at last stopping abruptly and facing us you can put that consideration out of the question you have asked me if i know the name of the assassin i do the mere knowing of his name is a small thing however compared with the power of laying our hands upon him this i expect very shortly to do i have good hopes of managing it through my own arrangements but it is a thing which needs delicate handling for we have a shrewd and desperate man to deal with who is supported as i have had occasion to prove by another who is as clever as himself as long as this man has no idea that anyone can have a clue there is some chance of securing him but if he had the slightest suspicion he would change his name and vanish in an instant among the four million inhabitants of this great city without meaning to hurt either of your feelings i am bound to say that i consider these men to be more than a match for the official force and that is why i have not asked your assistance if i fail i shall of course incur all the blame due to this omission but that i am prepared for at present i am ready to promise that the instant that i can communicate with you without endangering my own combinations i shall do so gregson and lestrade seemed to be far from satisfied by this assurance or by the depreciating allusion to the detective police the former had flushed up to the roots of his flaxen hair while the other's beady eyes glistened with curiosity and resentment neither of them had time to speak however before there was a tap at the door and the spokesman of the street arabs young wiggins introduced his insignificant and unsavoury person please sir he said touching his forelock i have the cab downstairs good boy said holmes blandly why don't you introduce this pattern at scotland yard he continued taking a pair of steel handcuffs from a drawer 
see how beautifully the spring works they fasten in an instant the old pattern is good enough remarked lestrade if we can only find the man to put em on very good very good said holmes smiling the cabman may as well help me with my boxes just ask him to step up wiggins i was surprised to find my companion speaking as though he were about to set out on a journey since he had not said anything to me about it there was a small portmanteau in the room and this he pulled out and began to strap he was busily engaged at it when the cabman entered the room just give me a help with this buckle cabman he said kneeling over his task and never turning his head the fellow came forward with a somewhat sullen defiant air and put down his hands to assist at that instant there was a sharp click the jangling of metal and sherlock holmes sprang to his feet again gentlemen he cried with flashing eyes let me introduce you to mr jefferson hope the murderer of enoch drebber and of joseph stangerson the whole thing occurred in a moment so quickly that i had no time to realize it i have a vivid recollection of that instant of holmes's triumphant expression and the ring of his voice of the cabman's dazed savage face as he glared at the glittering handcuffs which had appeared as if by magic upon his wrists for a second or two we might have been a group of statues then with an inarticulate roar of fury the prisoner wrenched himself free from holmes's grasp and hurled himself through the window woodwork and glass gave way before him but before he got quite through gregson lestrade and holmes sprang upon him like so many staghounds he was dragged back into the room and then commenced a terrific conflict so powerful and so fierce was he that the four of us were shaken off again and again he appeared to have the convulsive strength of a man in an epileptic fit his face and hands were terribly mangled by his passage through the glass but loss of blood had no effect in diminishing his resistance it was not until lestrade succeeded in getting his hand inside his neckcloth and half strangling him that we made him realize that his struggles were of no avail and even then we felt no security until we had pinioned his feet as well as his hands that done we rose to our feet breathless and panting we have his cab said sherlock holmes it will serve to take him to scotland yard and now gentlemen he continued with a pleasant smile we have reached the end of our little mystery you are very welcome to put any questions that you like to me now and there is no danger that i will refuse to answer them end of chapter seven and part one Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show, how to support our guests, and thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh submitting stuff actually you don't have to be a patron to submit anything that's how dave got on the show and that's how you can get on the show too it's the people's guide to the cthulhu mythos rate review subscribe tell your friends thank you for listening back to the show hey everyone it's me db new sponsor on the show clary Clary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Clary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, they've got saxophones, trumpets, drums, they've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20 watt amplifiers for under $50. Hard cases for your electric guitar for under $80. Guitars themselves for under $90. Come on, folks, check out the show notes. Get a Glary.
a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here are your hosts, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic, and sometimes not-so-classic, monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio! You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Part 2. The Country of the Saints. Chapter 1. On the Great Alkali Plain. In the central portion of the great North American continent, there lies an arid and repulsive desert, which for many a long year served as a barrier against the advance of civilization. From the Sierra Nevada to Nebraska, and from the Yellowstone River in the north to the Colorado upon the south, is a region of desolation and silence. Nor is nature always in one mood throughout this grim district. It comprises snow-capped and lofty mountains and dark and gloomy valleys. There are swift-flowing rivers which dash through jagged canyons, and there are enormous plains which in winter are white with snow and in summer are grey with the saline alkali dust. They all preserve, however, the common characteristics of barrenness, inhospitality, and misery. There are no inhabitants of this land of despair. A band of Pawnees or of Blackfeet may occasionally traverse it in order to reach other hunting grounds, but the hardiest of the braves are glad to lose sight of those awesome plains and to find themselves once more upon their prairies. The coyote skulks among the scrub, the buzzard flaps heavily through the air, and the clumsy grizzly bear lumbers through the dark ravines and picks up such sustenance as it can amongst the rocks. These are the sole dwellers in the wilderness. In the whole world there can be no more dreary view than that from the northern slope of the Sierra Blanco. As far as the eye can reach stretches the great flat plainland, all dusted over with patches of alkali and intersected by clumps of the dwarfish chaparral bushes. On the extreme verge of the horizon lie a long chain of mountain peaks, with their rugged summits flecked with snow. In this great stretch of country there is no sign of life, nor of anything appertaining to life. There is no bird in the steel-blue heaven, no movement upon the dull grey earth. Above all, there is absolute silence. Listen as one may, there is no shadow of a sound in all that mighty wilderness, nothing but silence, complete and heart-subduing silence. It has been said there is nothing appertaining to life upon the broad plain. That is hardly true. Looking down from the Sierra Blanco, one sees a pathway traced out across the desert, which winds away and is lost in the extreme distance. It is rutted with wheels and trodden down by the feet of many adventurers. Here and there there are scattered white objects which glisten in the sun and stand out against the dull deposit of alkali. Approach and examine them. They are bones, some large and coarse, others smaller and more delicate. The former have belonged to oxen and the latter to men. For fifteen hundred miles one may trace this ghastly caravan route by these scattered remains of those who had fallen by the wayside. Looking down on this very scene, there stood upon the 4th of May, 1847, a solitary traveller. 
his appearance was such that he might have been the very genius or demon of the region an observer would have found it difficult to say whether he was nearer to forty or to sixty his face was lean and haggard and the brown parchment-like skin was drawn tightly over the projecting bones his long brown hair and beard were all flecked and dashed with white his eyes were sunken in his head and burned with an unnatural lustre while the hand which grasped his rifle was hardly more fleshy than that of a skeleton as he stood he leaned upon his weapon for support and yet his tall figure and the massive framework of his bones suggested a wiry and vigorous constitution his gaunt face however and his clothes which hung so baggily over his shriveled limbs proclaimed what it was that gave him that senile and decrepit appearance the man was dying dying from hunger and from thirst he had toiled painfully down the ravine and on to this little elevation in the vain hope of seeing some signs of water now the great salt plain stretched before his eyes and the distant belt of savage mountains without a sign anywhere of plant or tree which might indicate the presence of moisture in all that broad landscape there was no gleam of hope north and east and west he looked with wild questioning eyes and then he realized that his wanderings had come to an end and that there on that barren crag he was about to die why not here as well as in a feather bed twenty years hence he muttered as he seated himself in the shelter of a boulder before sitting down he had deposited upon the ground his useless rifle and also a large bundle tied up in a gray shawl which he had carried slung over his right shoulder it appeared to be somewhat too heavy for his strength for in lowering it it came down the ground with some little violence instantly there broke from the gray parcel a little moaning cry and from it protruded a small scared face with very bright brown eyes and two little speckled dimpled fists you've hurt me said a childish voice reproachfully have i though the man answered penitently i didn't go for to do it as he spoke he unwrapped the gray shawl and extricated a pretty little girl of about five years of age whose dainty shoes and smart pink frock with its little linen apron all bespoke a mother's care the child was pale and wan but her healthy arms and legs showed that she had suffered less than her companion how is it now he answered anxiously for she was still rubbing the towsy golden curls which covered the back of her head kiss it and make it well she said with perfect gravity shoving the injured part up to him that's what mother used to do where's mother mother's gone i guess you'll see her before long gone eh said the little girl funny she didn't say good-bye she most always did if she was just going over to auntie's for tea and now she's been away three days say it's awful dry ain't it ain't no no water nor nothing to eat no there ain't nothing dearie you'll just need to be patient a while and then you'll be all right put your head up begin me like that again and you'll feel bullier it ain't easy to talk when your lips is like leather but i guess i'd best let you know how the cards lie what's that you got pretty things fine things cried the little girl enthusiastically holding up two glittering fragments of mica when we goes back to home i'll give them to my brother bob you'll see prettier things than them soon said the man confidently you just wait a bit i was going to tell you though you remember when we left the river oh yes well we reckon we'd strike another river soon you see but there was something wrong compasses or map or something and it didn't turn up water ran out just except a little drop for the likes of you and 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 you couldn't wash yourself interrupted his companion gravely staring up at his grimy visage no nor drink 
and mr bender he was the first to go and then indian pete and then mrs mcgregor and then johnny hones and then dearie your mother then mothers are dead too cried the little girl dropping her face in her pinafore and sobbing bitterly yes they all went except you and me then i thought there was some chance of water in this direction so i heaved you over my shoulder and we tramped it together it don't seem as though we've improved matters there's an almighty small chance for us now do you mean that we're going to die too asked the child checking her sobs and raising her tear-stained face i guess that's about the size of it why didn't you say so before she said laughing gleefully you gave me such a fright why of course now as long as we die we'll be with mother again yes you will dearie and you too i'll tell her how awful good you've been i'll bet she meets us at the door of heaven with a big pitcher of water and lot of buckwheat cakes hot and toasted on both sides like bob and me was fond of how long will it be first i don't know not very long the man's eyes were fixed upon the northern horizon in the blue vault of the heaven there had appeared three little specks which increased in size every moment so rapidly did they approach they speedily resolved themselves into three large brown birds which circled over the heads of the two wanderers and then settled upon some rocks which overlooked them they were buzzards the vultures of the west whose coming is the forerunner of death cocks and hens cried the little girl gleefully pointing at their ill-omened forms and clapping her hands to make them rise say did god make this country in course he did said her companion rather startled by this unexpected question he made the country down in illinois and he made the missouri the little girl continued i guess somebody else made the country in these parts it's not nearly so well done they forgot the water and the trees what would you think of offering up prayer the man asked diffidently it ain't night yet she answered it don't matter it ain't quite regular but he won't mind that you bet you say over them ones that you used to say every night in the wagon when we was on the plains why don't you say some yourself the child asked with wandering eyes i disremember them he answered i hain't said none since i was half the height of that gun i guess it's never too late you say them out and i'll stand by and come in on the choruses then you'll need to kneel down and me too she said laying the shawl out for that purpose you've got to put your hands up like this it makes you feel kind of good it was a strange sight had there been anything but the buzzers to see it side by side on the narrow shawl knelt the two wanderers the little prattling child and the reckless hardened adventurer her chubby face and his haggard angular visage were both turned up to the cloudless heaven in heartfelt entreaty to that dread being with whom they were face to face while the two voices the one thin and clear the other deep and harsh united in the entreaty for mercy and forgiveness the prayer finished they resumed their seat in the shadow of the boulder until the child fell asleep nestling upon the broad breast of her protector he watched over her slumber for some time but nature proved to be too strong for him for three days and three nights he had allowed himself neither rest nor repose slowly the eyelids drooped over the tired eyes and the head sunk lower and lower upon the breast until the man's grizzled beard was mixed with the gold tresses of his companion and both slept the same deep and dreamless slumber had the wanderer remained awake for another half hour a strange sight would have met his eyes far away on the extreme verge of the alkali plain there rose up a little spray of dust very slight at first and hardly to be distinguished from the mists of the distance but gradually growing higher and broader until it formed a solid well-defined cloud this cloud continued to increase in size until it became evident 
that it could only be raised by a great multitude of moving creatures in more fertile spots the observer would have come to the conclusion that one of these great herds of bisons which graze upon the prairie land was approaching him this was obviously impossible in these arid wilds as the whirl of dust grew nearer to the solitary bluff upon which the two castaways were reposing the canvas-covered tilts of wagons and the figures of armed horsemen began to show up through the haze and the apparition revealed itself as being a great caravan upon its journey for the west but what a caravan when the head of it had reached the base of the mountains the rear was not yet visible on the horizon right across the enormous plain stretched the straggling array wagons and carts men on horseback and men on foot innumerable women who staggered along under burdens and children who toddled beside the wagons or peeped out from under the white coverings this was evidently no ordinary party of immigrants but rather some nomad people who had been compelled from stress of circumstances to seek themselves a new country there rose through the clear air a confused clattering and rumbling from this great mass of humanity with the creaking of wheels and the neighing of horses loud as it was it was not sufficient to rouse the two tired wayfarers above them at the head of the column there rode a score or more of grave iron-faced men clad in sombre homespun garments and armed with rifles on reaching the base of the bluff they halted and held a short council among themselves the wells are to the right my brothers said one a hard-lipped clean-shaven man with grisly hair to the right of the sierra blanco so we shall reach the rio grande said another fear not for water cried a third he who could draw it from the rocks will not now abandon his own chosen people amen amen responded the whole party they were about to resume their journey when one of the youngest and keenest eyed uttered an exclamation and pointed up at the rugged crag above them from its summit there fluttered a little wisp of pink showing up hard and bright against the gray rocks behind at the sight there was a general reining up of horses and unslinging of guns while fresh horsemen came galloping up to reinforce the vanguard the word redskins was on every lip there can't be any number of injuns here said the elderly man who appeared to be in command we have passed the pawnees and there are no other tribes until we cross the great mountains shall i go forward and see brother stangerson asked one of the band and i and i cried a dozen voices leave your horses below and we will await you here the elder answered in a moment the young fellows had dismounted fastened their horses and were ascending the precipitous slope which led up to the object which had excited their curiosity they advanced rapidly and noiselessly with the confidence and dexterity of practiced scouts the watchers from the plain below could see them flit from rock to rock until their figures stood out against the skyline the young man who had first given the alarm was leading them suddenly his followers saw him throw up his hands as though overcome with astonishment and on joining him they were affected in the same way by the sight which met their eyes on the little plateau which crowned the barren hill there stood a single giant boulder and against this boulder there lay a tall man long-bearded and hard-featured but of an excessive thinness his placid face and regular breathing showed that he was fast asleep beside him lay a little child with her round white arms encircling his brown sinewy neck and her golden-haired head resting upon the breast of his velveteen tunic her rosy lips were parted showing the regular line of snow-white teeth within and a playful smile played over her infantile features her plump little white legs terminating in white socks and neat shoes with shining buckles offered a strange contrast to the long shriveled members of her companion on the ledge of rock above this strange couple there stood three solemn buzzards 
who at the sight of the newcomers uttered raucous screams of disappointment and flapped sullenly away the cries of the foul birds awoke the two sleepers who stared about them in bewilderment the man staggered to his feet and looked down upon the plain which had been so desolate when sleep had overtaken him and which was now traversed by this enormous body of men and of beasts his face assumed an expression of incredulity as he gazed and he passed his bony hand over his eyes this is what they call delirium i guess he muttered the child stood beside him holding on to the skirt of his coat and said nothing but looked all around her with the wondering questioning gaze of childhood the rescuing party was speedily able to convince the two castaways that their appearance was no delusion one of them seized the little girl and hoisted her upon his shoulder while two others supported her gaunt companion and assisted him towards the wagons my name is john ferrier the wanderer explained me and that little un are all that's left of twenty-one people the rest is all dead of thirst and hunger away down in the south is she your child asked someone i guess she is now the other cried defiantly she's mine cause i saved her no man will take her from me she's lucy ferrier from this day on who are you though he continued glancing with a curiosity at his stalwart sunburned rescuers there seems to be a powerful lot of ye nigh upon ten thousand said one of the young men we are the persecuted children of god the chosen of the angel morona i never heard tell on him said the wanderer he appears to have chosen a fair crowd of ye do not jest at that which is sacred said the other sternly we are of those who believe in those sacred writings drawn in egyptian letters on plates of beaten gold which were handed unto the holy joseph smith at palmyra we have come from nauvoo in the state of illinois where we had founded our temple we have come to seek a refuge from the violent man and from the godless even though it be the heart of the desert the name of nauvoo evidently records recollections to john ferrier i see he said you are the mormons we are the mormons answered his companions with one voice and where are you going we don't know the hand of god is leading us under the person of our prophet you must come before him he shall say what is to be done with you they had reached the base of the hill by this time and were surrounded by crowds of the pilgrims pale-faced meek-looking women strong laughing children and anxious earnest-eyed men many were the cries of astonishment and of commiseration which arose from them when they perceived the youth of one of the strangers and the destitution of the other their escort did not halt however but pushed on followed by a great crowd of mormons until they reached a wagon which was conspicuous for its great size and for the gaudiness and smartness of its appearance six horses were yoked to it whereas the others were furnished with two or at the most four apiece beside the driver there sat a man who could not have been more than thirty years of age but whose massive head and resolute expression marked him as a leader he was reading a brown-backed volume but as the crowd approached he laid it aside and listened attentively to an account of the episode then he turned to the two castaways if we take you with us he said in solemn words it can only be as believers in our own creed we shall have no wolves in our fold better far that your bones should bleach in this wilderness than that you should prove to be that little speck of decay which in time corrupts the whole fruit will you come with us on these terms guess i'll come with you on any terms said ferrier with such emphasis that the grave elders could not restrain a smile the leader alone retained his stern impressive expression take him brother stangerson he said give him food and drink and the child likewise let it be your task also to teach him our holy creed we have delayed long enough 
forward on on to zion on on to zion cried the crowd of mormons and the words rippled down the long caravan passing from mouth to mouth until they died away in a dull murmur in the far distance with a cracking of whips and a creaking of wheels the great wagons got into motion and soon the whole caravan was winding along once more the elder to whose care the two waifs had been committed led them to his wagon where a meal was already awaiting them you shall remain here he said in a few days you will have recovered from your fatigues in the meantime remember that now and forever you are of our religion brigham young has said it and he has spoken with the voice of joseph smith which is the voice of like the TV series Tales from the Crypt? Are you interested in full episode and movie reviews from Tales from the Crypt? This podcast is for you. The Good Evening Kitties podcast, where I, Melissa, your ghostess with the mostess, recap every episode with special guests and bonus horror movie reviews. The Good Evening Kitties podcast can be found on most podcast platforms. Check it out today. Once again, for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, you can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show, how to support our guests, and thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know... Uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show.